0: Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Well, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here at Centerpoint is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We do here what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style is just maybe a bit different than other churches are in the area, but we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here. I want to guide you and encourage you in your weekly walk with Him. This week, we're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Talking Points, the perfect blend of politics and religion. I think each week I've said actually after I say that is, can there be such a thing, right? Like, can there really be such a thing? But in all honesty, I hope after this series, you've been able to see that there can be a blend between politics and religion. And there can be a good blend, actually. Because in this series, what we've done is we've looked to the Bible to see how God wants us to actually address today's big talking points or controversial topics or, in an even easier way to say, the news headlines, right? We all see the headlines these days, and they instantly make us think one thing or the other. And 99% of the time, it's polarized one direction or the other. They're always taking us to the extremes in our emotions. We love it or we hate it. Right? Well, in this series, we saw how in the midst of this polarizing time, God wants his people to approach things in a particular way. He doesn't necessarily give us specific answers, but he gives us guidance and principles in how we should handle today's talking points. And honestly, I don't know if you can relate with me, but I realize like God's approach to these things is not the way I usually do it or think about these things or really the way I even see a lot of other Christians naturally live things out. We started talking about like how if you're a Christian, you should strive to be an unoffendable person. That was a hard hit to me. We talked about how we are to choose to unite in our differences instead of trying to divide, all right? Instead of trying to make everyone the same, we chose unity over uniformity. And then last week we had Amy, a guest speaker here, she talked about how we are to be known for love. And there's a lots of ways Jesus told us how to do that. This week, it kind of summarizes the three. We're talking about how we should go about to actually choosing to do these things. Like, how do we choose to become unoffendable? How do we choose unity? How do we choose to model love? And what it comes down to is our policy choices. It's with our personal policies all the way to our political policy choices. I got to ask you. Do you know what your policy choices are? Do you know why they are that way? Well, I want to just do a little game and kind of get a little poll on our church here. I'm going to ask you some really intense questions about politics. Just kidding. Uh, We're going to actually do the family Thanksgiving edition poll. uh, And you're going to let me see where you land and what your policy is on Thanksgiving type of things. So you're going to either have this thing or that thing. So, for example, on Thanksgiving, would you prefer to be at the dinner table or scattered anywhere in the house while you're eating? Who would say at the dinner table? Who would say scattered anywhere? You don't really care. All right, all right. How about this one? Fresh mashed potatoes or store-bought potatoes? Who would be like all about fresh mashed potatoes? Who's all about the store-bought potatoes? Probably the people that cook, right? All right. Uh, how about this one? Uh, stuffing with meat or stuffing without meat in it? Maybe you didn't even know that's a thing, but stuffing with meat? Who's all about that? Who's like stuffing like, don't put meat in that? That does not belong there. All right, yep. Yeah. Sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie? Who's a sweet potato pie person? All right, who's a pumpkin pie person? Yeah, whipped cream, let's put it on it. How about this one? This is, a, this is like a debatable one. Turkey or steak? All right, who's all for the turkey? Who's all for the, nah, we're just going steak. We're just doing steak for Thanksgiving. Uh, how about This is a fun one. Leftovers to share with everyone that's at the party or leftovers only for the host? Who would say leftovers are only for the host? Who would say leftovers for anybody? All right, all right. Last one, last one. This one's a fun one too. Is Christmas music acceptable or unacceptable before Thanksgiving? Who says it's acceptable before Thanksgiving? Who says definitely not acceptable? All right, all right. These are some of our policy choices when it comes to Thanksgiving, right? If I'm throwing you off with the word policy, a lot of times we simply see policies as laws, right? It's synonymous with law. It's a cinnamon here. Just like uh, I have strong policy choices when it comes to Thanksgiving, what are your policies with other things? Because I have a lot of personal policies. I have strong feelings about things I do. For example, I have Strong policies on certain things that I wear. I have strong policies on the way I talk with certain people. I have certain policies on what I drink with certain people. What's crazy is my wife, she even has personal policies for me. I don't like it. Put the seat down in the bathroom, that's a policy that she has for me. Seatbelt before we leave the driveway, that's a policy she has for me. No flossing in bed, no flossing in bed, that's a policy she has. Starbucks, no more than once a day, that's a policy she has for me. These are some things. that are personal policies she has for me. For you, what is it for you? For you, could it be how you are or act at school? For you, could it be how you are at work or with that group of friend, or that other group of friend, with your family? What's your policy on that? Or what's the policy on the other side of the family when you're there? What are your personal policy choices? There's one that I thought I'd share with you before we dive into the Bible today, and it's a policy choice that that I make that pretty much sticks out to me amongst a lot of other ones. And it's one I say out loud embarrassingly. And I'm not really proud that I say this or think this, but some of you can probably relate with me, but you don't say it like I do. Uh, It's when my wife and I were going somewhere, I usually ask the question, is it a church event or not? Is it a church party or not? What kind of party is it that we're going to? Like what kind of dinner or gala or connection is this one? Is it a church one or not? You know, because there's generally a difference, right? There's generally a difference. There's a policy choice because it it usually means people are going to be in their Sunday best. They're going to be on their Sunday best. They're probably speaking churchy is what I like to say. They're using a lot of words like blessed, grace, transubstantiation. Okay, maybe not that last one. That one's just for church. Now, I'm being a bit dramatic, right? But for real, there's a difference, right? To put it bluntly, it's typically Without booze, no swearing, no getting too gritty into the story details, no rawness, only really safe conversations. Well, first, I want to just say, I don't love church events because of that. Sounds awkward coming from a pastor, but I don't want to have to pretend or dial back on who I am and pretend to be someone I'm not. I like realness. I don't want to be fake. And I hope you've been able to see that here at Centerpoint, that we try to be as real as possible and do our best to be raw, open. We take God very seriously here, but we we just don't take ourselves seriously. But even still, that's me in general, I'm going to be real with you. Since I'm a pastor, it's really hard for me to break out of that stigma, out of that mentality, even when I know I should. Instead of people like, and people like do it to me like without even trying, they'll they'll like ask me questions like, Aaron, what's your favorite... And I'm thinking, like, favorite book? Like, is what they say, what's your favorite book in the Bible? And I'm like, come on, just ask me my favorite book. I just want to talk about books. Or, hey, so have you seen the show Chosen? Well, actually, I watch Netflix, too. I watch other shows. Or have you, have you, uh, like, when we're ordering something, you'll be like, well, he has, he'll have water. I'll be like, actually, I was probably gonna get a beer. Or, or wait, you get angry? I don't realize the pastors get angry. And then my wife's like, yeah, he does, definitely. But for me, both as a pastor and you maybe as, as a normal person, we aren't really that different. We aren't really that different. So in these situations for church or church events or galas, what's your personal policy choices? Have you been there? Can you relate to like thinking about that? Of what, How am I going to act? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Have you ever had personal policy choices on where you are going on how you'll act when you're there? Have you ever wondered what's the right approach to your policy choices. Well this is what we're gonna to look to and see from the Bible how to approach making policy decisions on what we do, how we act, and what we say. And then hopefully use these same principles to decide on lots of other personal faith and political policy choices. Today we're gonna to look at Romans 14. And a little bit you maybe need to know about Romans is, is it's written by Paul. He's a big writer of the Bible. He's written a lot of letters throughout the Bible. Uh, And this letter to the Romans is known as this theologically packed book. It's got tons of doctrine, tons of information in it. And what's happening, though, is he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. And it's a growing church full of Gentile believers. And what that means is people who were not Jewish or previously God followers before Jesus. But now they are followers because of Jesus. And these Gentiles, they're the majority of the church, whereas Jewish Christians, the ones that have been following God for years and years and years, they're the minority in this church, and they're having a bit of a debate, as is there some older Jewish laws and traditions, and the past Jews are like, you got to start doing those Gentile Christians. You got to start doing those things that we did for years and years and years. To be a God follower, you got to do those things, and then the Gentiles are like, what are you talking about? We're following Jesus. We don't have to do those things. And they have this disagreement at this church on belief practices. Does that sound a little bit familiar to some of the churches we see in the area or churches just in general? Absolutely, right? To get down to it, what they're doing is they are asking, what is it? Do we have to follow those old laws? Do we all have to follow those or not? If you're a Christian in the room today, You've maybe wondered or asked that same question. Like, do we have to follow Old Testament laws? There's a lot of laws in the Bible. Do we have to follow all those policies? We're going to cover that. So hang on. We're going to get to that. But while this division, though, is happening at this church in Rome, Paul comes in and he says, you both have great things. But because of Jesus and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of what he has done for everyone, there's this new, full kind of transformed life that happens in each and every one of us. And it should change Your policy approach. I gotta pause there. When you became a Christian, did any of your policies change? Because they should. They should. Being transformed versus simply following laws is this giant revelation and spin that Jesus brought to the church and also changed things for us significantly. So much so that I'm gonna take one minute to Bible nerd out with you on laws in the Bible before we get into our chapter. Hang in there with me. If you're like not into Bible out, this is your one minute nap during the sermon, alright? So you can take a little one minute nap. But if you're into the Bible stuff, here, here we go. In the New Testament, many scholars, they treat Old Testament laws in three different ways. There are civil laws, there are ceremonial laws, and then there are also moral laws. Civil laws, they were governed, they were the ones that governed the nation of Israel. Encompassing not only behaviors, but also punishments for just general crimes people did. Then ceremonial laws, they were all about being clean and unclean. Like if you like touch something that would make you ceremonially unclean about various kinds of sacrifices or other temple practices. And then there's moral laws, which declared what God said is right and wrong. Or, for example, the Ten Commandments. Now, what you maybe don't know is since the Old Testament was of Israel and Jewish followers... They were all seen as like this church and also a state or this this country. They were entwined together. There wasn't a separation. They were blended, meaning some laws were just part of being civil beings in that nation. Like we have U.S. civil laws. They were kind of combined with biblical laws. And some that were for following God and some that were not really significant for us today because it was just for that government. So there's three categories, some that are more significant than others. Paul, he even points out that those that are born again are actually released from all of those laws. As Jesus himself put it, he came to fulfill all laws. So what does it mean that Jesus fulfilled all laws? It means that every law pointed to him and he completed everything they pointed to, all the laws. With all this said, Thinking of Jesus as the fulfillment of law helps us see why we keep some of the Old Testament commandments or some of the Old Testament uh, commands, and all, we also ignore some in the Bible. So civil laws, they're kind of no more today. We don't really follow the Old Testament civil laws. As Jesus. He set up a new nation, a new way of looking at things. Ceremonial laws, they were just to show what's unclean and clean back then, and we don't really do that anymore. To show how They were to show how we are unholy and unlike God, Well, we reflect on those things, but Jesus is our sacrifice, so we don't really do the ceremonial laws anymore. And then finally, moral laws. The moral laws are fulfilled in Jesus as well, but unlike civil and ceremonial laws, they are more time-bound. They're something that stick with us today. These are laws of God's assessment of what is good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. They reflect God's character, and since His character never changes, His views on morality doesn't either. So we stick to those moral laws strongly. With all this said, there's lots of laws in the Bible, but some that are more important than others for us today. Woo! All right, so Bible nerd out over. You can wake up if you're taking a nap there, which gets us caught up to what we're going to read today in Romans 14, where there are specific issues, again, with various practices relating to Old Testament law, things like eating certain foods or having a Sabbath, which means a day of worship with God. Again... The Jewish Christians are mad at Gentile Christians for not following these. And the Gentile Christians are confused on why they should. So let's see what Paul says about it. It's in Romans 14. It says this. We're going to look at this whole chapter. It says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. I got to pause there. This is a long passage that we're looking at, but that's a huge statement, isn't it? Look at just a few of those words. I underlined a few of them. Except other believers who are weak in faith, don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Some of y'all maybe just needed to hear that today, this morning. The ESV version, it's another translation, it says this. It says it this way, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. It's saying don't fight over opinions. Just don't. Don't do it. And then Paul gives us an example of how to do this well. It says, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. This is so good, isn't it? It's so, and it's so timeless for what we're dealing with right now. Back then, there were some things that Jewish law said not to eat, to be set apart. But Gentiles, they weren't part of that law. So Paul is saying, whatever camp you're in, don't look down on the other of what they're doing. Thanksgiving is a perfect example of this, right? Y'all just, we just took a little poll, and some of y'all are like, I want steak on Thanksgiving. And some of y'all are like, I like turkey on Thanksgiving. Let's be real here. The ceremonial tradition of Thanksgiving is turkey. It's turkey. That is the tradition, right? But many of you chose steak. Neither of us should look down on each other. And then it it says this. It says what God is saying, you who are caught in a policy disagreement, when you disagree about those things, don't do it. He's saying don't do it. You do you what you're conscious or what you feel God is telling you to do, then do. He gives us another example that's completely different. It says, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think another, every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. I think there's one more part. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. It's saying you are to live for God. God wants you living for him now. and eternity. You who have declared to be a follower of Jesus and are actually trying to follow Jesus, may by chance choose right sometimes or wrong, but God just wants you to follow him and try to follow him. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? It's so good, right? It's so good and timeless. we still got more. and I know, it's a longer passage, but stay with me. It says this, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account. God is saying, if you disagree with someone, don't worry about it. Stop. Stop stressing. It's not up to you. That's between them and God. Sure, we want them to come to faith, right? That's that's a goal and follow Jesus' ways. We want them to do that and pursue that. But stop stressing about their personal choices. They got to deal with that. That's between them and God. You did your part. So let's stop condemning each other, he continues. Again, stop it. But then he tells us what to do, what we can do. It says this decide decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall oh, this is so good right it's saying directly what you can do how often have you been in a spot with God where you're like I feel like I gotta address the situation God what do I do so and so shacking up what do I do so-and-so is doing something immoral. What do I do? So-and-so isn't attending or doing this thing as much as I want them to do. What do I do? So-and-so is choosing to stand against something that I, I, I'm for. What do I do? Just out of curiosity, just, what is so-and-so? Is it singular or plural? I don't even know. No. But he tells you. God tells you. And I'm going to paraphrase this, this last verse for you so it's really clear. You are to live in a way that you will not cause them to fall from faith. Faith is Priority. It's priority. Let's see why. He says this. I know it's longer, but hang in there. I know I am convinced on the authority of Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. Do you hear that? It might be better for you to not do something. Let's finish this. This is the last couple verses. It says, You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Wow. I feel like literally a fire hose of content just doused us, right? And not only that, like, I feel like every time that I feel like, all right, I think I'm on track, Paul. I think I'm on track. I'm doing kind of what you want. Like, literally, Paul redirects me and slams me in the face. I feel like this guy, right? Like, I'm trying to catch a fire hose, and literally, I'm just getting sprayed nonstop in the face, can't catch hold, and just not ever getting back on track. So, what this is saying to us, though, what is it saying to us? That's a real question. What is all this passage saying to us now here in Fond du Lac, not in Rome? What does it mean for us? And how should we go about applying this to our policy choices? Well, Paul is saying that there are things we are going to disagree about in the church. Specific policy decisions. and says they should not lead to division. And that a mature Christian should accommodate to others. But I want to be clear too. He is not saying that there's never anything we should divide over or or confront. Again, Paul was a big shot, and he wrote a lot of letters in the Bible. And he identifies things that maybe are worth confronting or separating. And one in particular in Galatians, he talks about, like, if anybody teaches a different gospel than the one of who Jesus is and what he stood for, they are a false teacher. You should not entertain them into the church. But there's different views on things. Last uh, two weeks ago, I spoke on these circles uh, and how we kind of have these three categories of beliefs and how we go about uh, advocating for certain beliefs. There, in the center, would be like the die for the. the there's only a few core things that you're going to die for that are strong beliefs you have about particular things in faith. Then the next ring, again, this is the target symbol, right? But then the next ring is the defend. You're going to defend certain faith beliefs. You're going to defend them, and you're kind of you're gonna go to bat for them. And then in the the last circle, that's where the majority, a lot of them are, is the ones you're gonna be up for discussion. The ones you're trying to figure out, but like different people come to different conclusions. They're in these categories, and we have these different areas. You have the die for, defend, and discuss. The defend and discuss, they tend to be lower on the list. There's a few that that are the die for in the center. We have our beliefs on the website of of CenterPoint. And what those beliefs are, are the die-for type beliefs. The things like who Jesus is, loving others, serving, our view on the Bible, like the Bible. Those are things we are going to die for, we believe in. But then there's a lot of defend and discuss that are different amongst people. Now, there's a catch, though. You might agree with the die-for, but the longer you're in the church the more you start to like your opinions on the defend and the discuss and start thinking that those are die for as well. You start to defend and discuss those as if they're die for categories and you want everyone else to think that too. I mean, that's kind of what happened in Rome. The Jewish Christians, they loved some of their opinions on how to handle this new change with Jesus and Jewish law. They felt all Christians needed to do certain things to be fully aligned with the past laws. Yes, it's part of our goal in the Christian walk to become more and more like Jesus, which means aligning more and more with Scripture. Even the harsher, harder teachings that you once felt maybe were non-essential or wrong. But Paul and Scripture tell us specific things for us to do to make sure that we are still conscious of not taking our opinions too seriously, but looking to how God wants us to make policy choices. And I think there are four that Paul points out in this chapter that we're going to look at. The first one is this. Seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom first. Seek Jesus' ways first. It's all over scripture. You'd see it all over the Bible. Seek God first. Seek Jesus first. What that means, though, is that means seek the kingdom of God before your policy. Seek the kingdom of God before your party's policy. Seek the kingdom of God before you share your opinion. Again, verse 17 of this chapter, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, again, our policies on those things, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about uniformity in eating and drinking. It's about peace, love, and unity. The kingdom of God or God's ways supersedes your opinion or personal policy choices. Our policy choices should come from Jesus. And how we know what his policy choices are is the Bible, is knowing the Bible, looking to the Bible. So seek the Bible of what it says about your particular policies that you're interested in. Not what some pastor, not what some church, not what some book or influencer or politician says, but what does God say about your policies? You've got to study scripture on your own. That also means don't look for a specific verse just to find your opinion but actually spend time in Scripture looking at the whole topic and seeing what it really says all around that topic. Picking and choosing what we want to hear. We do this with a lot of things. We do this with a lot of things. Recently, I, uh, we're thinking about getting a cat in our house. I don't know if it's a good idea or not. Like, It's like we have a dog, but they're like kind of cute. Like You hold them, and like they're cuddly. We're really thinking about it. My, my daughter loves them, so like we have to get one, right? So then I'm, like, kind of looking into it. I'm a researcher. I like looking things up, like, should we get a cat? And I'm, like, Googling, and I I started Googling this. Like, why are cats the best pets? Well, I got a lot of really great reasons on on Google. They told me a lot of things. They're low maintenance. They they could be on their own. They're pretty cheap. Like, I found a ton of things. They're cuddly. I found a ton of great reasons. But the way I searched it brought out the good reasons. Just after the last service, tons of people are like, hey, by the way, you have to clean a litter box. Hey, by the way, you have to do all these nasty things. Hey, by the way, they shed. Hey, by the way, they have claws. Uh, Non-stop things. Now, when I was looking for it, I was going biased. Why do cats make the best pets? We're supposed to go to Scripture unbiased, unbiased, and really look. What does God say about a topic, not just trying to find your opinion in that topic, because you want to seek His kingdom first and your policy choices? By the way, I'm undecided if we're getting a not. The second thing we can see in this, this passage is this. It's no. Know there are people at different stages in their faith. Remember when you were a new Christian? Remember when you thought, uh, remember when you didn't like church? Remember when you were mad at God? Remember when you were caught in a different type of sin? Everyone's at different stages. It's not up to you to redirect every mistake they make. And it's not your job to judge them in their stage they're in. Again, verse 1 of that chapter, it says this. It says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And then verse 4, it says, Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge. It's really easy for us to try and rank people. I, uh, some of you maybe know I've done karate my whole life, and it's all about like, belts in martial arts America, or martial arts, so it's like you have tons of different belts, and the black belt's like the goal, white belt's like, eh, all right, you got a white belt, good job, you know, like, so there's different categories, and like, you kinda know where people stand based off of their belts, so whoa, like when people find out you're a black belt, like whoa, You're mature as a martial artist, you know, but if you're a white belt, you're like, oh, okay. We've done it a few times. Well, as a Christian person, it isn't our job to be like, hmm, looks like you're a gold belt Christian. You're a gold belt Christian. Maybe one day you could be a black belt. I don't know. It's not our job. Know that we're at different stages, but don't look down on another for it. Because in God's eyes, you're all the same. You're all the same. We're all the same. What you can do to help them in those stages, though, is develop relationships with them. Sp- you spouting your opinions about their wrongs without even knowing them will only turn them away. Start a relationship. Wait for them to ask for your opinion and love them well no matter what. That's true guidance. The third thing we can see in this passage is obey your conscience, obey your conscience. Verse 14, it said this right away. It said, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And then verse 5 says, it says, be fully convinced for yourself. Paul, the writer of this, he was convinced on his view of this, of his policy on food and the Sabbath. Are you convinced of your view on the things that you're thinking about, on your policies? What's your conscience telling you? Again, seek what scripture your conscience and the Holy Spirit is telling you, don't change Scripture to match your opinions. You should be putting the kingdom first in your opinions. But sometimes, sometimes Scripture doesn't address certain policies. And just have it be that. Like, opinions are just opinions sometimes. As in, it's not Scripture. So simply just tell it as it is. Don't feel you have to somehow find verses to match every policy of your life or change a biblical story to match uh, all the things or all your policies in life. Don't make something seem godly when it's not, but follow your conscience in your choices. Follow your conscience. I'm reading this book uh, this week, and it's called Live No Lies, and what it does is it talks about how we as humans, since day one, we tend to let things hijack our conscience. Lies have been the way of evil since day one. In Genesis, like the story of Adam and Eve, you probably have heard it before, but Genesis 3, like the, the serpent says, did God... Really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden, and then four, verse four says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve knew what was up. She knew what was going on, but she was deceived. She was lied to and tricked. Follow your conscience. Follow your conscience. Don't be tricked. Verify your conscience with scripture, with your church, with other people. Those are the ways you can stick to your conscience. Follow your conscience on your choices. And then lastly, lastly is prioritize your brother or sister's spiritual health over your freedom. It says in uh, with a verse that we've been looking at, it says, And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died for. Verse 19 said, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. We are to take in consideration our brothers and sisters' spiritual health and what we do in our policy choices. Meaning, is that post you do on social media, is it going to harm the spiritual health of someone else? Is that comment you make, is that going to harm the spiritual health of someone else? Is that action you do or how you talk, what you drink or eat or do? Are you thinking of the spiritual health of your brother or sister? For me, I, I love going to dinner with different people um, and just connecting with them and, and getting to know them. At, at, like, dinner's just fun for me. But one of the things, if you've ever been to dinner with me before, is a lot of times I'll ask people, especially someone new, I'll ask them, do you mind if I order a drink? With Do you mind if I, if I order a beer? And a lot of times I do that because I don't Want to offend someone that maybe is struggling with that, or, or don't want to offend someone that, that maybe just chooses that that's not the right choice. I don't want to have them be upset about my choice to order a drink. It's super awkward for me to ask that question. It's not like a fun question that I'm excited about asking, but it's one of those I want to look for, out for the spiritual health of my brother or sister. Are you aware of those moments in your own life? Not maybe in that particular example, but maybe in something where you're seeking out the spiritual health of a brother or sister. I mentioned in the beginning, uh, I'm not a fan of Christian parties. To be honest, part of me is getting over the fact that I've kind of just created this, this image in my head of how I think I need to act at certain parties or Christian parties. So I'm a bit more fake, and that's wrong. I know it's so wrong. God wants me to be real. God wants me to be who he designed me to be. So I, I, I need to be who I am and not be ashamed of, of how I talk or what I look like or what I do. That's just something I personally need to get over. But another part of that too, though, is a maturity thing. A maturity thing of seeking out the spiritual health of my brother or sister. I need to just kinda suck it up and change who I am a little bit while I'm there. As in, I need to mature up as a Christian and see that part of being a Christian is choosing not to distress someone over something little. Something that isn't going to make a big difference in my life, something like choosing proper language when I'm around people that, that are looking for that. Or not drinking when that maybe would hurt someone. Or not being so frank or being so harsh in my storytelling because it could maybe offend someone. That's now my policy at, at certain situations like that. What's yours? What's yours? So again, how we go about choosing our policies, we have seek the kingdom, know there are people at different stages in their faith, obey your conscience, and prioritize your brother or sister's spiritual health over your freedom. What does that look like for for you to do that from now on? What does that look like to apply to your policy choices, both politically and personally? As always, I want to get really real for you before we wrap up and have the band back up here by giving you some specific examples, both politically and personally. So politically, maybe for you, maybe for you that means seeking the kingdom first when looking at your voting power. Not looking at a party or an opinion or whatever else first, but asking what brings God's kingdom here first. Maybe it's knowing that people just might be immature in what they choose and not choose as a Christian. Don't label them as immature, but, but know that people are at different stages. Maybe for you that means you need to start following your conscience more. Advocating for something you just feel inside and know fully is what God wants for his kingdom first. Or maybe for you, it's, it's choosing a policy that will specifically help your brother or sister continue to follow God well. Personally, Personally, maybe that means for you of seeking the kingdom by choosing policies that show God. Maybe it means knowing that people are going to probably think, say, and do things that are different than you, but having an understanding towards their immaturity. Or maybe that means doing or not doing something that everyone else does at work, but inside, you just feel you've got to do it this way because God's telling you that. Or maybe for you, it, it means choosing to give up a freedom that you see as not wrong, but giving it up for a brother or sister's spiritual health. Not swearing, not drinking, not maybe eating that food. I'm going to pray in a second here that we can use God's teaching to help us in our priority choices by seeking his kingdom first, by knowing there are people at different stages in their faith, obeying our conscience, and prioritizing our brother or sister. If you want that, you can pray with me in a second here. But if let's say you've maybe, maybe never accepted God in that way, because honestly, people have done wrong to you in their policy choices, and they weren't godly. If that's you, I'm so sorry to hear that. But I do want you to know Jesus wants a relationship with you. No matter what you've done, where you're at in your faith, no matter where you're, what you're even doing right now, Jesus wants a relationship with you, and he wants to work on that relationship with you, and he'll accept, your, he'll accept your, your wrongs when you ask for forgiveness. He can guide you in policy choices, and if you want that, you can ask for that, and he'll guide you in that step. Would you all pray with me right now as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, giving us some examples of how to make policy choices. God, I just pray that we, we can act on these. We can think about these. These, these come to mind before, before anything else. Your kingdom first is something so important. We want to seek you first before anything else. And then, God, some of us today, we've, we've been wronged by by people, but we want a connection with you. God, we want a relationship with you. We we want your guidance on policy choices. Help us, help us figure out how to mature in a relationship with you. And, God, we want to start a relationship. We, we know we've done wrong, but forgive us of those wrongs and help us move forward. In Jesus' name.